Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I will speak for myself when I say one of the things I have absolutely loved in our COVID season uh, has been Carrie and Emily and what they're doing with our students and kids. And I want you guys to know, you know, they get a little snippet of where the message is going and they, they're able to take that and put it in such an amazing uh, nugget of truth, uh, both for the adults, may I say that, and for our, our kids. So um, I, I love hearing and I love this morning hearing that for the first time what they had, had put together. We are, as they described in Exodus chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 15, we're in 22 all the way to 27. It's the third message in our series called The Wilderness, Where God Shapes His People. So we're tracing that season, if you will, in the history of redemption for Israel, where they came out of bondage, they're going to go into the promised land, but there's this gap, if you will, called the wilderness years. Uh, Rob and I have mentioned that the, the wilderness, while literal for them, you know, the Bible even tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that what happened to them was for our benefit. So, so this season of wilderness and all that happens to them and, and what they're learning, there are lessons for us and those are the lessons that we are seeking to apply in our own lives. The wilderness, not just literal wilderness, but figuratively, it is those seasons of life when, when life's not working, when difficulties uh, are, are, are pressing upon us, when there's pain and loss, when, when all of life conspires to make us question, God, are, are you faithful? Are you good. And all of us have those seasons in life. Um, uh, many of us, and I want to mention this and pray as we, as before we get into the word this morning, uh, we lost John Russell uh, this last week. Many of you knew John. Joe Blair and I were talking a few moments ago about years ago, him being in the songwriter's nights and uh, some of the songs that he wrote and the cleverness of his ability there. And uh, John leaves behind Melissa and uh, three kids, and uh, it was a battle with cancer that, um, that took him just this past Tuesday. And so as a church family, uh, I want to ask you to join me in praying for them in this wilderness. Would you pray with me? Father, we as a family of faith come to those who are hurting, and we bring our hurt with us. We also bring our prayers on their behalf for Melissa and the kids that your peace and your presence in ways, Lord, I cannot humanly comprehend, but your word makes clear is real and relevant right where they are. May they know the hope of the gospel that John stands in the presence unencumbered by sin and cancer forever. He is in life, life he was made for, life indeed. Your hand upon those who grieve, including us, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for praying in that way. Uh, you know, we always remind you we're, we're a family of faith and of course the body when the one part of the body hurts, 
It all hurts. We don't always know what's going on within the body, but I want you to be aware of that. Now, we began our journey two weeks ago in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 21. And it was there, you know, the way I described it is God himself put them between a rock and a hard place. And, and at that, between that rock and a hard place, he also wanted them to know, I am, I am so with you, I'm so present. And he visually, tangibly put a column of a cloud that was before them. And that same column would turn to fire at night. So whether day or night, God saying, I am with you. And, and you remember what we did. Um, we took our shoes and, and we wrote cloud on one and then we put fire on the other, uh, some of you on your feet. And it was simply a reminder to us, like even now, where I stand, wherever I go, wherever you go, wherever your feet take you, God is present. And his presence is more than, than, than just presence as we might hold it. It is the fact that his presence means provision and protection, his good hand to keep us and hold his own. Well, from that rock and a hard place, last week, Rob took us through chapter 14, the, the back end, and that's their, their crossing of the Red Sea, their deliverance from Pharaoh and his chariots. And the waters parted, and the same waters that parted and were walls for the Israelites to walk through, when, when, the, when Pharaoh and his chariots entered that path, those same waters judged them and destroyed Israel's enemy. Rob ended that message with this lesson, if you'll recall. The wilderness is not something to be rescued from. It is the place where God rescues us. That's the, the, the message and the point. He went on to say God's purpose is not to pluck us, you know, he's not to pluck us out of the wilderness. No, it's to actually save us, sustain us, guide us, restore us, and help us in the wilderness not removing us out. Now we're gonna see that lesson built upon, quite frankly, as we take our text this morning. I want, I want you to envision this text, it's verses 22 to 27. I want you to think about it as God's wilderness orientation, if you will. So, so think about uh, any orientation. You, before you go on a raft trip, they give you an orientation. Here's how you're gonna survive this trip. Uh, before the kids go to college, they go to orientation. And in orientation, they learn, here's where you're gonna eat, here's where you're gonna stay, here's where you go to the library, here's how you're gonna get your classes. So the next four years, the orientation helps them understand how to live it and survive it. This is God's wilderness orientation for his people. And, and whereas, you know, you may, you may miss a class, I don't know, you may, it may cost you a grade if you're not paying attention or you don't get the, the orientation at school. In this orientation, to miss what God has to say it could cost you your life. It matters that much. I wanna set our context so, so we, we stay in, in, the, in the text itself. You know, they've been delivered. That was Rob's message last week. Now, chapter 15, all the way up to verse 21, it's called the Song of Moses. And so having been delivered, uh, Moses teaches them a song uh, to celebrate this deliverance. And you all, they are, literally dancing in the streets. I want you to see this in chapter 15. Look first at verses 20 and 21. And this precedes our text. It says, then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand 
And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. I would suggest that this this moment of worship, if you will, and that's exactly what it was, is probably the pinnacle of, of their worship up to this point in their history. Had they, I don't know that they'd ever worshiped and celebrated God's strong arm and faithfulness like, like they do in the song of Moses. So from this, this, this celebratory worship, the story continues and we need to understand that context for where we're going. And we pick up the story in verse 22. And, and I want you to know it's, the story is three stages. And it's important to even think about it in that way because this is how God inspired it. This is how it happened. And this is how it was recorded. It starts with no water. That's verse 22. It goes to bitter water, sweet water. That's the middle section, 23 to 26. And then it ends with springs of water. So no water, bitter, sweet water, and then springs of water. With that, follow along in your Bibles. I'm gonna take it a section at a time. It's, we're gonna take the first verse, verse 22, no water. So from the worship of God and celebration, note what happens, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out. And by the way, you know, the cloud moves. So we know God is doing this through Moses. Set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Three days into the wilderness and they do not have what they need to live. Literally to live. Scientists say you can go 100 days without water in normal temperatures. They say if you're in direct sunlight, you go a lot less. If you're in the desert, direct sunlight and all that entails a lot, lot less. There's something else going on though, and I don't want us to miss this. Um, I want you to think back with me for a moment. Go all the way back to um, Moses going to Pharaoh saying, you know, God said, let my people go. Go all the way to the plagues and all that. And do you recall when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, he told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go this far in the wilderness so that they can do this. Do you remember what those numbers were, so to speak, and what it was they were to do? It was, uh, my people need to go three days into the wilderness where they can worship me. Now think about these 2.4 million people going who, who had that message in their minds and now they're three days. Can, I, can, we, can we step in their shoes for a moment and go, okay, we're three days in, but they're not finding water for themselves or the livestock. Day one, day two, day three, no water. And in their, their expectation, can we say it that way, was we'd be three days in worshiping God and they are three days in and dying of thirst, which makes the next section so, uh, so difficult and, and quite frankly, somewhat confusing. They go from no water to bitter, sweet water. Look at verses 23 to 26. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them 
saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The root of Mara, Mar, means bitter. And so he, we, we're not gonna miss this because that says it so much. You know, you could read that verse 23 says they came to a bitter place and could not drink the water of bitter place because it was bitter, therefore it was named bitter place. Likely saturated with minerals, kind of like the Dead Sea and other springs even there to, these, to this day. In other words, it's water, but it is unable to sustain life. It is unfit water, undrinkable water. I picture the Israelites, you know, think about the first ones that got there. 2.4 million people, y'all. It's not like everyone got there at once, but those who got there at first, three days without water, I imagine they are gorging themselves on the water only to discover it is undrinkable and it's coming out as fast as it went in. Makes me think of the movie Unbroken. You remember in, in, in that movie, True Story, they survived longer than anyone, I think, on, on, in open seas. How about floating? Dying of thirst while floating on endless water. I mean, there's part of this, that's cruel in, in a sense. And uh, their disappointment took about two seconds to turn into grumbling. Moses prays, God shows him a tree, a a log. It's the Hebrew for tree as well. He threw the tree in the water. The water became drinkable. You know, when left to our own perspective, and I've mentioned this, we can think, I can, think God cruel. I mean, why didn't you just, why didn't you, God, why didn't you just take them to water that's drinkable? Why bitter first? The truth is he could have led them to drinkable water, but he didn't. And it's fair to ask why. There are at least two reasons given in the text. I want to grab those. First, the text indicates to us that God was in in these events and the way they unfold, he's, he's teaching them, okay? So there's lessons and he's giving them a rule or, or a statute to follow, which you know, God was giving them. And this is why I said it's God's orientation. Think about it. This God is giving them the orientation for the wilderness. Here's how it works in the wilderness. If you're gonna survive the wilderness, here's what you do, here's how you live. And it's really pretty simple. It's a, it's a, he doubles up, he re- repeats himself, and I'll just combine it to say this when we read that passage. Diligently listen and give ear to God's voice, his commands, his direction. Diligently listen and give ear. And what you hear him say, then do it keep it, keep his commandments. That's the ground rules for wilderness. In short, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. Y'all, this is not new. This is not something, oh, this, I've never figured that out. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This is, this is true in the whole Bible. Obedience to God brings blessing. Disobedience to God brought death in the garden. And it remains true even to this day. Notice God says, I am the Lord, your healer. Think of, I'm the Lord, your healer. I want you to think about this. Well, if he's our healer, then then we're sick. Um, Then we always need healing. 
And so when we even read this, and again, the whole of scripture would support this, he's not saying here, look, if you'll listen to what God says and do it, you'll never get sick. You'll never experience the fallenness of this world. Absolutely not. That is not the testimony of scripture. But what the testimony of scripture is, and this is true, that when a person lives according to the principles of God, and may I say this, even if this person doesn't know Jesus, this person's not a Christian, but they're living morally and according to the principles of God, life goes better for them. But no one, even those obedient to God, escape the fallenness of our humanity and the fallenness of this world. We always need a healer. Now, why else would he lead them to the bitter water? Because he's given them these statutes. But Moses also says this. He says that God was testing them. Y'all, this isn't a test like like you you get in school, you know, you study, you get tested to see if you know the information. No, this is not that kind of a test. The word test here, and really when God tests throughout the Bible, it carries this this sense of of an experience by which something is revealed, like something happens and it shows something about that which is being tested. The Bible often uses, you know, the picture of gold or silver. It's a good one in the sense of, think about that metal when it goes under the heat, the, 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 the testing of the burning fire and the, the, the high heat. And what happens is the impurities rise out. In other words, the impurities are revealed under that heat and that testing. That's what's happening here, God, is there's a fire, a testing going on here. And it's so that something's revealed. And quite frankly, it's something that's revealed about them. I'm going to hold that because I'm going to get to that when we talk about lessons. So they go from no water to bitter, sweet water, and then notice how it ends in, you you couldn't paint a more flourishing picture in the desert, verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. It ends with springs of water, highly Symbolic and physically as it happened, there were 12 springs, 12 tribes of Israel. There were 70 palm trees. By the way, the presence of palm trees tells us that these were springs, which means it was permanent water. In the desert, there's still water and then there's spring water and the spring water is the best because it's unending. 70 palm trees, you know, later on, Moses is gonna go on Mount Sinai. He's gonna divide up with him 70 elders the 70 representing the whole of the nation. And, and we know this biblically, you know, don't go crazy on this, but go biblical on this. But seven, but 12 is important, seven, 70. Those are numbers of perfection and wholeness. And so what this last verse is saying is that at Elam, Elam is a picture of abundance and fullness and wholeness, fruitfulness, completeness, all that God has in store. So, so what are the lessons here? And, and, and I wanna, I'm gonna give you two. Um, but I wanna start with the macro level. That's the story. Let, let's step back from the story and go at, at, at its macro level. Then we're gonna unpack underneath it to get at other lessons. But start with looking at this story as, as stages. Do you see how it unfolds in stages? And, and this really is... Um, these are, the, we, these are the stages of redemption. This is how God saved his people Israel. And y'all, it's how he saves us, so to speak. So, so you, you understand they were, in Egypt, they had no water. What, what do you mean they had no, they had no life. 
because in Egypt they were in bondage. And so God delivers them out of Egypt. Interesting, he delivers them out of Egypt, but he doesn't put them immediately at Elam, the abundance, the fullness, the wholeness. No, they come out of no water into this space, so to speak, called bitter sweet water. And it's only after the bitter sweet water that we see they move on to Elam, which is the abundance and fullness of water. Think about our own salvation, you all. Think about when God saves us, he brings us out from Egypt. He brings us out from you know, our bondage to sin. But we don't go from Egypt to the promised land, so to speak. What do we do? We, he brings us into this space called wilderness, bittersweet. And then there's this picture of Elam and yeah, they go through it here, but you understand what I'm saying, backing away and seeing the orientation as a whole. It's Elam after the, Elam is after the wilderness and the bittersweet, the fullness, the 12 springs and 70 palm trees. It is a picture of redemption. I hope you can see that. And from it, I wanna make this suggestion that you know, this space between our coming out from Egypt and before you and I see Jesus face to face in the fullness of the promised land is a wilderness. If you wanna think theological terms, may I just throw this in? See, in our salvation, you know, we think, well, I'm saved. Salvation is I'm saved. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to heaven. Yes, yes. But our salvation is in fact these three parts. Our salvation is that we are justified, we are removed, you know, we are, the, the penalty for sin has been saved. We are declared just and justified. And our salvation is our sanctification, not just our justification, but our sanctification. We're in this season of life. You're, the reason you're alive today, if you know Christ and you're on the planet is you're being sanctified. You're coming more like Christ. And then there's our glorification in which there'll be a day when we see Jesus face to face. Yeah, that's our Elam. Does that make sense? So you see, it's our salvation is pictured here. And here's the lesson I want to suggest. One lesson. Life in the wilderness is bitter and sweet. I could actually boil that down to this. Life is bittersweet. We're not at the springs of Elam. We're in the wilderness. So see, even while we say wilderness are these seasons of your life, and they are, don't miss this, okay? Please don't miss this. Our whole lives are living in the wilderness, theologically. When, we, when you understand this, here's why this is so important. When we understand this, then we understand when life disappoints, wait, wait, we're three days in, we should have water and worship. You know, you and I live life and life happens. We go, no, this is not what I planned, God. This is not, this is not right, this is wrong. When we hit disappointments, expectations not met and bad things happen, when we, under, when we stop, we go, okay, wait, wait, wait. My life is in the wilderness. Life is bittersweet. I'm not home yet. See, 
<laughs> Wherever your feet take you right now on this planet, y'all, I always want you to remember, you're not home. That's why it hurts. That's why people die. That's why bad things happen. We're not home yet. We're in the wilderness. I don't think this is one of those, it's not like a bummer of a truth. I mean, this is, this is a hopeful truth. <laughs> Gives us perspective. I'm reminded of the first sentence in M. Scott Beck's uh, book back in 1978, but still, you know, in public, publication today, The Road Less Traveled, he wrote this, first sentence and paragraph. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Now he's talking from a totally non-Christian perspective because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. What I wanna say is there's that nugget of truth in there that when we accept life is difficult, I'm gonna say this, when we accept life, wilderness, is bittersweet, then we take the bitter with the sweet. We don't demand life be sweet, sweet, sweet when we live in the wilderness. I'm reminded of Jesus's words to the disciples, John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me, peace in me. <laughs> Here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I'm reminded of James writing to the church, James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James, if I paraphrase James, he's basically saying, look, consider it all joy when you have various trials because you're gonna have trials because you're in the wilderness and the wilderness is bittersweet. There's a second lesson, okay? Let me offer this second lesson. And I mentioned a moment ago, there was this testing that God was doing and it was to reveal something. I said, well, what's it to reveal? I said, hold on. Well, let me answer what it's to reveal, what I think it's to reveal according to the text. I'll cut to the quick and just say it. I think that God used the bitterness of Mara to reveal the bitterness that was in their hearts. I want you to think about this. They, they are party celebrating of God's deliverance. Three days later, they are grumbling. Look, their circumstances had changed, but what hadn't? Y'all, it's their hearts. And so when their expectation is not met, their disappointment, they go to grumbling. And what that, where that, where's that grumbling coming from? From the heart. Y'all, we've said this, we always say this, the Bible teaches our problem's the heart. It's why our mission's wholehearted life in Jesus, because the problem's the heart. It's not out there. It's not even, you know, ultimately your behavior per se, it matters, but it, but what matters is right behavior from a changed heart and God is showing them in their own grumbling. Your heart is as bitter as this water. The reason God did not take Israel, okay, like out of Egypt, and right into the promised land. <laughs> but there's this space called the wilderness. The reason God 
saves us from an eternity apart from him through Jesus Christ and the gospel. But we don't immediately go into Elam, into the promised land, in the presence with him in heaven forever. The reason that's there, but there's this thing now that you and I look around and go, if you're breathing right now, you're in it, wilderness called life. Why not just immediately go? Because, Because God is so determined that he must prepare his delivered people for their promised land. He's gonna shape their hearts to be prepared for their eternal future. That's true of the Israelites and y'all, that's true for all of us who follow Jesus. Hardships, disappointments, bitter water, bitter water of life. They test us and, and, it, and, and what do they, they show us what's in our heart. Here's the lesson. God works in the wilderness to reveal the bitterness in our hearts that we might more fully experience the grace in his. I'll say it again. God works in the wilderness to reveal the bitterness of our hearts that we might more fully experience the grace in his. What's, what, what's the wilderness you're in revealing about your own heart? And it's God uses that experience to reveal the, the darkness in our hearts that we might actually bring and, 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 and experience more fully his grace. And for example, let's take the story. How did it happen in the story? Well, there was this bitter water, no good, can't drink it. And then it says, and then God showed Moses a log and it's the word tree. And Moses, you know, it doesn't say all that God said, but clearly God must said, take the log, throw it in the water. So Moses took the log, the tree, and he threw it in the water and the water became sweet. It's interesting that, that others have noted that it says, and God showed him a log. The idea is the whole time, y'all, the log was there. So everyone's grumbling, they're grumbling, and the log is there, but no one can see it. Moses can't even see it. Then Moses cries to God, and when he cries to God, God showed him the log. Think about um, Hagar when she was in the wilderness running from Sarah, and she's dying of thirst, and then God showed her a spring. It's like, wait, that spring was there the whole time. The whole time she thought she was dying of thirst, but she couldn't see it until God opened her eyes. And God opens Moses' eyes in faith. And when he opens his eyes, Moses does what God says. In other words, I suggest that what Moses did is exactly what God said to do. Listen for me, listen to my voice. And when you hear my voice, do what I tell you to do. Moses lived out his faith. And when he did, what was bitter became sweet. What was undrinkable became drinkable. It's no different for me and you when tasting the bitter waters of life. And I don't know that there's ever a time we don't have that sour taste in our mouth from something in life. What, what, what do we do in that moment? We recognize what God's showing us in our hearts and we run to the, run to the cross. And I want to be careful because some ancient teachers, you know, seeing this tree, the cross, the cross and gets to be an allegory possibly. I wanna step back from that, but simply say there's the gospels everywhere and Jesus is everywhere. And clearly what Moses did is a picture of faith in God, which is a picture of the gospel faith and the finished work of Christ. So in our wilderness, we go to the finished work of Jesus. 
We listen for the voice of God. We may grumble. I pray our grumbling turns to crying out to God and hearing God and whatever God's showing us about our faith, bringing that to God and whatever God instructs us to do and trust him for, we'll take that step of faith that the bitterness may turn sweet. I do think it appropriate to recognize that there is a bitterness that is beyond comprehension. It's called the cup of God's wrath. It is appropriate to recognize that Jesus himself, what does he do with that cup of wrath? Do you understand Jesus drank the cup of wrath? You talk about bitter. And in drinking it, he satisfied the wrath of God for you and for me that was that was for our sin. And by, his, by Jesus' obedient faith, the bitterness of life becomes the sweetness of God's grace and forgiveness of our sin through Christ. Wow. In the midst of our maras, Jesus alone, Jesus alone in his finished work is what makes the bitter sweet. And may I remind you that those of us who know Christ, that Christ in us becomes that which helps others, not just yourself, others in your world. As they're tasting the bitterness of wilderness, Christ in us with them is that which sweetens their own bitter cup. It's not just for us, but for the world. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your reminder this morning from this story of the nation in the wilderness that we can step back and today recognize life in the wilderness is bittersweet that we would not try and make more of this life than you intend. It's not home. And that that truth would in fact transform us, that, that what is bitter would not overwhelm us. But we might bring Christ to it. And may you by your spirit show us that you're working in this life, in this wilderness to reveal the bitterness in our hearts. And it, it won't all be gone till we're with you face to face. But you reveal the bitterness in our hearts that we might more fully experience the grace in you. Boy, when we see the darkness of our sin, it makes your grace even more glorious. May that truth transform us. And may we with changed hearts because of the cross of Christ bring that same hope to others. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Let me, before you go, please, we want to pray with you. And there's a box there, um, a live prayer box that maybe some of you have already clicked, but there's none of us that aren't in wildernesses. 
And uh, we want to pray with you and, and, and invite you to click that box. There's someone there to pray with you even now. So before you go off, and even as the service ends, they'll remain there to pray with you. Wherever you are in your wilderness, I'm gonna remind you, uh, at least I can, because I've got them with me right now, I can take off my shoes and know cloud and fire. God is present, always present. And his presence is hope, sure and certain. And as surely as this is bittersweet, Elam, Elam is ours. It is ours for sure. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord keep your shoes from wearing out to remind you in cloud and fire, he is with you always, amen. And I do look forward to seeing those who choose to come next week in person. We will see you face to face. Others, I can't wait to see you online. God bless.